Hi, y'all. This is Dayanary. Welcome to Windshield Time. This is the Tuesday show. Yeah, welcome to Windshield Time, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a non-technical, fun, informative way to learn about money, Bitcoin, blockchains, crypto, and digital assets for busy parents and working folks who are curious about these new technologies. Day, myself, and our guests talk about these evolutionary systems of money and what they do. Because what part of your life does money not touch? Thank you very much. And this podcast is not financial advice, and your reactions are your complete and utter responsibility. Thanks. Enjoy the show. <laughs> that doesn't roll off the tongue as well as it could, does it? <laughs> no, it does not. All right. It's November 19th, Tuesday again. And uh, my name is Day. I was formerly a sales engineer working on wide area networks. And I'm Ari, the co-host with Day. Chair of the Cascadia Blockchain Council. Did I say I was the co-host of Windshield Time? You did not. Oh, I'm the co-host of Windshield. I am a co-host of Windshield Time as well. How are you doing? You know when you lost something and it's been like nagging you for weeks and weeks and weeks and then you feel like you had an aha moment and you go rushing to it and then to find that that thing that you were looking for was not there? Yeah, you're a little frustrated. Yeah, I'm left hanging. I don't have closure on that thing that I've been looking for. I'm sorry. Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I found the other thing you were looking for. Yeah, I had given up on that because I had my primary nail clippers. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you found my backup nail clippers, which are also awesome. So yeah. that's awesome. Nail clippers are a thing for day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I'm really excited about this podcast episode. It's with Ian Polina. I miss you. Ask the, uh, me how I'm doing. Oh, how are you <laughs> doing, Day? Uh, so I was up super late preparing this show. Thank um, you. Everything is prepared except the intro. So we're doing a quick recording of the intro, and I think I'll be able to survive. I think I got like uh, five to eight, nine, like three or four hours of sleep. So Good. I think I'll be okay. It's the sleep uh, interruptions that kill me, uh, as I've been telling a lot of people. But as long as I get a solid little block of sleep, then I can be okay. Well, good. I'm glad you're blocked of sleep. Think, slept. And I think my uh, sinus issues are mostly gone, too. I was listening to some recordings, and uh, it's I sound really, really sinusy. It's really? kind of uh, yeah, it's kind of shocking. Yeah. I can't tell, and I'm married to In you. Previous shows. You, li- you, li- you didn't listen to the previous shows and I notice did. that? Okay. Did not you notice. Did, you didn't notice? No. Nope. Okay, mm-hmm. I noticed. Mm. All right, let's do some Satoshi math really quick. Yeah, what's the price of Bitcoin at? Right, so I checked the price of Bitcoin on the handy-dandy Apple Stocks quoting app a moment ago, and it was sitting at $8,151. Woo. Okay, it's still kind of holding, yep. kind of. So then what do you do with that $8,151? Well, to figure out how many Satoshis, which is the smallest denomination of Bitcoin. Otherwise, no sats. Yep. You take $1. So I'm trying to figure out how many Satoshis are in $1. I take $1 and I divide that price of Bitcoin, decimalized out, eight decimal points. So it is one divided by point. One dirty U.S. fiat dollar. One divided by point zero 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 zero. <laughs> Yay, you got the correct number of zeros. <laughs> Eight one five one. Which equals drum roll. Twelve thousand two hundred and sixty-eight sats wow. per dirty fiat dollar. More Satoshis US. for every dollar. Yeah, exactly. This show is my first solo interview that I had ever done. I'm sure you did awesome because you're an awesome Asaurus. Yes, thank you. It turned out okay, I think. The 
Audio quality is not <coughs> the kind of audio quality that I would like to have in our studio here. But was it as good as my iPhone recorder? Or you used a special recorder, didn't you? Yeah, I used a special recorder, the Micro Nano Nano Studio. Mm-hmm. And it turned out okay. Yeah, we were in a hallway mm. at, in Las Vegas mm-hmm. at the Cosmopolitan and what I thought would be a really quiet area. There's, yeah. there's, there's some sections of the audio that sound really awesome and some that sound like we're going through a train station or something. <laughs> um, it's pretty noticeable. But overall, yes, it is a decent sounding audio recording. Would you Not studio quality like I like, but it was good. Would you prefer the iPhone or the Nano Recorder? At this point, the way you did the iPhone yeah. sound recording is probably better. I win. Yay. Oh, gosh. What? Not everything's a competition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I would say that for the flow that I had, uh-huh. I think that because I was not holding the voice recorder back and forth and moving it back and forth and trying to optimize for sound, uh-huh. I think that I was able to think and just ha- be very conversational with uh-huh. him uh-huh. as opposed to being stressed out about the, uh, you know, the sound quality. Honey, I, I w- just tried to set it between us and uh, into a good spot. I was not stressed out. Remember, I'm pretty good at the system one thinking. <laughs> Which reminds me, yesterday we had a really good time with Chris Banton yeah, from T-Mobile. T-Mobile. Yep, he came in and uh, yeah, we had a really, really nice interview and finally got to sit down and really get to know him. So yeah. I think our process is uh, outstanding. What do you think? I think so. Great. I get to uh, keep up my culinary skills of cooking in the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) People get to eat it and put on a happy face, even if they don't like the food and they (laughs) eat it all. (laughs) Some people even ask for seconds and thirds, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So if you want to be a guest, please ping us and we'll see if we can get you scheduled up. We are a little bit backlogged right now. Very backlogged, actually. Love hearing these stories of people doing great work, people living great lives, different perspectives. And I really, really enjoy it. Just like like Charlie Shrem's podcast, Untold Stories, there's a ton of stories out there. And I learned a lot from Ian turns out he went from something like uh, 500 you know subscribers on YouTube mm-hmm. so in a couple of months mm-hmm. uh, within a month or two mm-hmm. he went to 5000 subscribers mm-hmm. yeah so uh, he's a little bit of an infamous uh, guy in the space but yeah. he's uh, he's going legit he already got a series 65 oh wow congrats Ian yeah yeah totally so yeah, yeah he's got a really interesting perspective having been um, you know like he and I talked about the uh, poster child yeah. of uh, ICOs for the 2017 era well I heard a story on Charlie Shrem's podcast so if you want to go check it out go check out Charlie Shrem's podcast <laughs> so it is a told on story untold on untold stories, stories. yeah uh, <laughs> and now Ian retold Bolina. on windchill time <laughs> and actually like you know Ian Bellina he has a like a notorious reputation like some people really love him some people are like you know not so such big fans of him but the the way that he presented on Charlie Shrem's podcast he seemed he came up very likable like I understood and felt very empathetic to who he is and was and because you were in the middle of that uh, torrential ICO uh, heck that that year was yeah and it was just really really interesting to hear the real ian bolina tell his story his side of the story and you know that every story has at least three sides to a story and so i really appreciated that and i'm glad that we got a chance to capture ian bolina again very recently so i'm really excited about this episode awesome awesome all right so 
the events we got coming up December 10th, I believe, is the WTI Happy Hour at their office in yep. Seattle overlooking Lake Union. Yep, this is the final one for 2019. We'll Woo-hoo. do a very um, nice impact summary of what the council has been able to accomplish in 2019 and our plans for 2020 and how you can get involved. If you haven't subscribed to the newsletter, uh, subscribe to the newsletter. I put out a link out on uh, both Twitter handles on Arian Seattle and also Cascadia Council with letter I turned into a number one. Why don't you send me that link and I'll include it in the show notes. And we'll include it in the show notes. Come out and enjoy the community and we'll have some nice beer, wine, and some tasty treats to share with y'all. Tasty treats. Mm -hmm. Tasty, lovely treats. And then on December 5th, looks like we're going to Defy Ventures. We're going to Monroe, Washington. we're going to prison. And we're going to prison. Yeah. I need to reply to an email, apparently. ASAP. Okay. Just make sure you uh, register so that they can confirm your attendance. Because, you know, it's the prison system, so. All right. I must have lost it because I went through all my most recent emails last night. And it looks like I'll have to dig a little further. Yes, probably. Okay. All right, we'll just go straight into the interview with Ian Blina. We'll go ahead and skip the uh, intro disclosures, disclaimers, since you went ahead and read the description of Winchell Time in the beginning. And then thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors, Coimi, the best on-ramp from cash to Bitcoin. You can check out their partnership with Coinstar Machines across the United States at your nearest grocery store. They also have private client services, so you can text or call your favorite human, Brent or Brian, to do a transaction. It's like close to 3,000 or so Coinstar Machines machines across the country that the CoinMe software is enabled in. Yeah, they're they're lighting up machines hundreds and hundreds a week. Uh, they still have, you know, I think Coinstar has something like 26,000 or 28,000 worldwide. worldwide. And yeah. so there's a lot of machines that they're working on lighting up. So the CoinMe team is very, very busy. Yay to mm-hmm. crypto and this industry. And then thank you to the WTIA, the Washington Technology Industry Association, representing over 1,100 technology companies in the Pacific Northwest, everyone from Portland all the way up to Vancouver, BC. And did you know it's the largest technology industry association in the United States. I think there was a write-up that was done about Michael Schusler recently in yeah. one of the local magazines. Seattle Biz- I think Seattle Magazine just did a write-up on Michael Schusler. He's been the turnaround CEO that has taken the WTIA from what it was five years ago to what it is today. And it's a very, very, very different company and organization. So if you haven't checked that out, definitely read up about it. Um, and we also did a podcast with both Michael Schuster, CEO of the WTIA, and Heather Redman, the board chair of the WTIA. And so if you'd also like to listen to that a few episodes back, uh, we'll put a link into the show notes. Probably one of my favorites because it really puts a light into the uh, technology industry and what sort of maturing that we really have to do. To, you know, we've enjoyed the benefits of technology's 50, 60 year run on just pure growth. And now we need to take a step back and integrate into the communities that we exist in and give back also. Excellent. And I found a uh, disclosures, disclaimers that was recorded by someone that I just happened to kind of lose track of. And so she's going to be closing out the show today with her reading of the disclosures, disclaimers. Great. All right. Thanks again, y'all, for listening. Appreciate you tuning in. And uh, be nice to each other, y'all. Together we rise. Bye. So appreciate you sitting down with me. Aries a little uh, tied up with the uh, poker event, um, but uh, mm-hmm. glad we connected. And, glad to be uh, here. It's yeah, a pleasure. Yeah. I'm still new to getting to know you, uh, but for the folks who listen here, who um, you know, we target like parents and working class folks who aren't necessarily totally in depth familiar with 
Bitcoin, blockchains, cryptos, tokens, and digital assets. Could you, I guess, introduce yourself and uh, you know what you've done in your background? Yeah, so I just kind of start from the, from, from the beginning. I was born in Kampala, Uganda. Oh, Uganda, wow. Okay. And I uh, grew up in England and uh, America. I came to America when I was eight years old. My family, my dad, came to America to do his doctorate in engineering. So he brought the whole family with him and stayed here ever since then. Went to college in D.C. at GW, the George Washington U University. Oh, nice. I bachelor's one of, and master's in computer engineering. One of my best friends went to uh, GW for medical school. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so my background is as an engineer. Then I worked as an IT consultant at, De at uh, Deloitte and also worked as a sales engineer and sales executive at IBM for four years. And I loved my experience at IBM. I learned so much uh, just being a, going from being a typical engineer to going out there and being in the field, working with Fortune 500 companies from Macy's, Staples, EY, and just really trying to sell IBM software, right? So I wasn't the typical engineer in a cubicle. And it really gave me a chance to travel the world and see how powerful technology is. So my last year, I was covering all of North America for the IBM open source analytics brand. Okay. And to me, that was really an experience because my first three years, I was working as a technical sales engineer. So I was the engineer doing the demos, workshops, proof of concepts with the sales reps. But I took a leap of faith and switched to being a sales executive. Because, a sales executive? Yeah, so oh, switched, you switched yeah. to the completely to the dark yeah, so, side. Yeah, to the dark side, <laughs> That's exactly. <a> joke. <laughs> so I switched from the dark side, I mean, from being an engineer to the dark side in sales. And it was the best move I ever made. Oh, I mean, okay. financially speaking, I'd seen sales reps get large commission checks, and I felt like I was being left out. So when I took that move, I ended up working out pretty well for me. Um, then a friend, prior to that though, in 2016, a friend of mine, wanted me to put him in touch with the director of blockchain at IBM and I asked him why do you care about this blockchain thing so he told me he was a Bitcoin developer for a while and he was launching a crypto fund and that really got my attention because he was my age at that time he was 27 28 and nobody that age I knew was launching a hedge fund <laughs> right right yet alone one for crypto or Bitcoin right. because I thought Bitcoin was something just for the dark web, just for bad actors trying to do bad things. Yeah. So he really opened my eyes to it. And me being an entrepreneur and also an investor, I was dabbling in the stock market. I had dabbled in penny stocks. So I had a very, mm. just, being, just by default being an entrepreneur, you have a very high tolerance for risk. Oh yeah. So when he told me he was making 200%, 300% just buying and holding Bitcoin or Ethereum, that got my attention. So that same week, I hopped into Coinbase, bought my first fraction of a Bitcoin and Ethereum. And do you remember the price of Bitcoin back yes, then? Yes, Bitcoin was around eight fifty. Eight hundred fifty. Okay. Ethereum wow. was under ten dollars. It was like nine dollars or so. Right. So I, this was around October twenty sixteen. Okay. Now the so once I had a piece of Bitcoin and some cryptocurrency. I had to know what I was investing in, right? Because that's the first rule of investing. You invest in what you know. Yeah. So I, I first bought it, then I did the research. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got two books. One was called Digital Gold, and the other was called The Age of Cryptocurrency. Right. And they're, I think both of them are done by New York Times writers, or one, one of them may write for the Wall Street Journal. 
but they basically tell the story of cryptocurrency and blockchain from the beginning to where it is now and where it's headed. And that really gave me a nice overview on the space. Mm. So after reading those two books over the course of three or four months, yeah, actually about, about three months, I became a believer. Mm. Right? So, because initially I only put in about $100 worth of Bitcoin and Ethereum. But once I actually believed in it, I doubled down. So it was around January, January, February 2017. I put in, I think it was, yeah, a couple thousand bucks into Bitcoin, a couple thousand into Ethereum. Yeah. To me, that was a lot going from a hundred bucks to thousands. <laughs> yeah. Then in about a week and a half, Ethereum announced the Ethereum Enterprise Alliance. And they had partnerships with the big companies, JP Morgan, Citibank, Microsoft, Ethereum price just went on a tear. Mm -hmm. It went up to two and a half X, maybe even three X. And I basically doubled my money in a week and a half. Yeah, yeah. And that was the fastest I'd ever doubled my money in anything. <laughs> so I was telling my friends, sell everything, guys. Let's go all into crypto. And so this is 2017? 2017, early. Okay. Yeah, early 2017, yeah, yeah, yeah. February 2017 or so. It's like the best timing right there yeah, during so the bubble. Yeah. Then I went to my first cryptocurrency conference, a token summit in New York. It was around May, yeah, it was around May, around springtime 2017, and I met people in the crypto space for the first time in real life. And there seemed very professional people, smart people. It didn't seem like I was at a, at a meetup for Silk Road at all. <laughs> so that made me more confident in the space. And from meeting everybody there, I, I noticed that the people, the investors who really made money in crypto got in very early. And most of them, from just interviewing them, made their money in ICOs. So that got my attention, because before then I was just kind of buying and holding, and I, I began to dabble in trading, but it wasn't really trading, it was just more of like FOMO buying stuff on Poloniex, whatever was going up oh, the most, I would yeah. just buy yeah. that, and that wasn't really a good strategy. <laughs> so but I pivoted to ICOs, and began to throw money anywhere from 100 bucks to 500 bucks into just any ICO like that, that would have an ICO. Because I thought this, because my job was to quit IBM by the end of the year. Oh, I, nice. I wanted to become self-employed. Yeah. So I was basically desperate, right, <laughs> to make money in crypto. But that didn't really work out for the first few weeks to a month. Then I told myself, what if I looked at the data and analytics and I used that to help me invest, right? Because mm. I worked in analytics at IBM. I had been featured in the Wall Street Journal for mm. using IBM Watson Analytics to predict my March Madness bracket. Oh, wow. Right, so I said, why not do the same thing for crypto, for ICOs? Sure. So I just put together a spreadsheet in Google Sheets, did research over a week, gathering as much data points as I could on ICOs, and I looked to see what the data told me. And I began, I began to see patterns in terms of projects that had the best performance. Mm. And the things they had in common were, at that time they had a product, they were on a paper. Right. ICOs. Right. Um, they had great teams, something I call all-star teams. And in terms of the valuation, they had different particular metrics that weren't too crazy. So I, I put all this into a spreadsheet. At that time, I was also creating content. I had launched a YouTube channel. It had about 500 people on mm -hmm. it, a small channel. And I began just making content on crypto. So I made educational content on 
Bitcoin. So this is all while you still have your day job at yes, yeah. uh, IBM. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. I'll multitask. I'll basically yeah. uh, I was working crypto six to six to midnight, or so sometimes even later. Right? Oh yeah. So I worked my nine to five, then six. To money midnight. never sleeps. Uh, yeah, money does not sleep. <laughs> so I was doing that make, while making the content. Initially, the content was just around being an entrepreneur and trying to achieve financial freedom. So it was kind of like a vlog or a diary, right? That's where my handle Diary of a Made Man comes from. So I made my first content on Bitcoin and crypto, and my audience says, whatever else you are doing, stop, just make content on crypto. We, we like this stuff. So I doubled down, and my next video was on ICOs. I did a video, hour-long video on ICOs for, for, for beginners. Mm. And that video ended up going viral in mm -hmm. the crypto world. It's kind of where I got my initial audience. So my subscriber base shut up to about 5,000 in about a oh. month or two from, yeah, from, yeah. from that video. Yeah. Because I, I knew how to make videos. I had a video production company in the, in the past. Mm -hmm. And I was transparent. I was authentic. Mm -hmm. I wasn't hiding behind an avatar. I was telling people my real name, right. where I worked, my job. I could call up <laughs> my boss if they wanted to. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so I think that authenticity in this space was very re refreshing at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And then I open sourced my spreadsheet with the world. So anybody could just go on my site and follow along my spreadsheet. And I was using that actual spreadsheet to make my investments. Oh, So okay. I basically had a rating system, kind of like Morningstar, but less advanced at that time where I just basically grade tokens, and those that scored highly, I would invest in. Okay. And I would share exactly how much I was investing, what percentage of my, my, my portfolio. I shared my portfolio publicly every single day for almost a year. Holy cow. Right? I mean, to a point where I was too transparent, <laughs> and I ended up getting hacked uh, a year later. Oh, right? man. I lost two and a half million in crypto oh, from that no. hack. I'm right? so, so sorry. So now I'm kind of more reserved. Yeah. But back then I was just kind of in a new industry, just kind of trying to stand out yeah. and be trans as transparent as possible. And that spreadsheet over the course of less than a year just kind of went viral as well. Because as the crypto space was heating up and people were making money, our investments were outperforming the market that was already uh, on, on, a, on a tear. Oh, so okay. my first month, the first my two highest rated projects that month in, was August 2017 were 0x project and a project called District 0x DNT. Yeah. So ZRX and DNT. And when they came out, they both did a 10x. No, uh, ZRX did a 10x return, meaning $1,000 turned to $10,000. Right. And DNT did 24x at the peak. <laughs> and at that point in time, I was like, wow, I guess this actually works, this data-driven <laughs> approach. So, so, so I guess uh, just to dive into that a little bit, the data-driven approach. Um, so this is uh, taking information that you were able to find about these projects, these token yeah. companies, and, but not like meeting the founders or interviewing the founders or anything like initially, that? Initially, no. Okay. Eventually, we began doing that, right? Uh -huh. But initially, we were just getting both qualitative and quantitative data points. Okay. And then we'll basically use the three sigma, three sigma rule and see how, how far particular projects deviated from the mean of historically successful projects. So for example, in terms of hard cap, in terms of token supply, in terms of token price, in terms of great team members, mm -hmm. right? So getting all these different data points and kind of seeing how far projects would deviate from the mean and then penalizing them for that. 
mm. and projects that were on par with the mean for projects that did well, they would score higher. Right, right. So the, I began just do, doing more videos. I was doing about two, two live streams a week. And that was also pretty new in the space because most content at the time for crypto was edited. Yeah. And mine was live, in depth. Yeah. The live streams were going for two, three hours, sometimes even four hours. Just me talking about the spreadsheet and kind of getting very technical. Yeah, yeah. Right? And it became really a way for me to kind of learn more about crypto and the projects while also educating others who are newbies getting into the space. Right. So they're kind of like online webinars that people would tune in for. Yeah. And from there, as each investment we made would outperform the market, my audience got bigger and bigger and bigger mm. to a point where in December, things just kind of went on a tear with Bitcoin and all the So it was coins. December 2017. Yeah, December 2017 because oh, yeah. using the spreadsheet. Oh, store time period. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We had three investments that had over 80x returns in the, in the same month. Holy Three cow. ICOs. Yeah, yeah. So one of them was Dragon Chain, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'm wearing, you know, people can't see us, but yeah, I happen to be wearing a Dragon Chain uh, t-shirt right now. So shout out to uh, Joe Rhodes and the whole Dragon uh, <laughs> Army out there in the world, if you happen to be listening. But yeah. um, okay. so, so how did you find uh, Dragon Chain then? I think somebody just, somebody in my network told me about the, the company, uh -huh. went to the website, did research, right. and it scored pretty well. Okay. So we invested. Uh -huh. uh, publicly on the, on the website. Yeah. Uh, the other projects were Icon, ICX, and Wabi. And those projects kind of put me on the map as well. Okay. Because uh, I put $20,000 into Icon mm -hmm. and it turned to, into over $3 million. <laughs> and everything was transparent on my spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah. So people who weren't really believers became believers in crypto. Oh. So that's how I kind of became like the, the poster child for ICOs. Sure, Because sure. I was sh sharing my entire portfolio th through the ups and downs. Yeah, yeah. But when the December bull market came, yeah. I kind of went viral. My YouTube channel went over 100,000 followers. Yeah. Same thing on Twitter. I was getting called in for, in for any interviews on CNBC, Today Show in Australia. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of when things Things blew up basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy cow! Wow, that yeah, is amazing. Then I ended up quitting my job in September 2017, mm -hmm. and I became a crypto millionaire, which was a goal I had in December as okay. well. And in 2018, I spent the whole year traveling the world, doing what I call the crypto world tour. Yeah. So I did 35 countries in two and a, in 12 months, doing the country every two two to, to three weeks. Yeah, yeah. And going. Uh, everywhere because I've seen people in crypto travel but not everybody really does a world tour so we, we did America Europe Asia Middle East South America Africa going around hosting conferences meetups as large as a thousand people in Moscow thousand people in London 300 people in Lagos Nigeria and I went there with my team creating content documenting everything and it was definitely a great experience Wow holy cow that is amazing <laughs> yeah, Wait, so um, so then, I mean, were you able to time it such that you didn't, um, I mean, ride everything down in 2018? I mean, yeah, so I mean, I, I was taking profits. To, okay, good. Was some, but I mean, obviously, I hope I, I wish I could have taken more, right? Sure, but, yeah, yeah. Because uh, before I, I got hacked, I took out about half a million, 
um, just to kind of finance my business and the, the crypto world tour travels. Sure. But I was also planning to take out more because I wanted to buy my parents a home. And that, that was one of the, probably the most upsetting, upsetting things of, of the hack. I wasn't able to buy my parents a home because of that. I had to kind of push that back. Sure. Right. So that definitely kind of has affected me in terms of not being so much in the public spotlight and kind of being more reserved. Uh, then. Do you still have that same YouTube channel then? I mean, uh, yes, I around? do. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's still up there, but I don't. I'm not as active as I used to. Now, so I ended up launching a new company called Hundred X Advisors, mm. which is a blockchain investment and advisory company. Okay. So in 2018, we traveled to. We made 15 investments in 15 different countries, so we kind of prided ourselves in being very diverse and traveling around the world, finding blockchain startups to invest in. So it was kind of like a tra traveling Shark Tank, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Um, so I've been doing that for over a year. Yeah. And then this year, in early 2019, I launched a new project called Token Metrics, taking what I was doing with right. the, the spreadsheet because in January 2018 at the peak of the crypto market, yep. I took down my spreadsheet okay. because it was getting too powerful. The influence was way too much to a point people were just blindly investing in anything I would rate highly on the, on the, on the spreadsheet. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't really like it because it was chaotic. Uh, so I saw I that. Mean, you must have been getting pings from people like in Telegram, like in all oh, yeah, kinds of everywhere. messaging channels everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And it's basically the media was just you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I took it down, and because I also saw that ICOs in the current format were changing, they're now shifting more towards being more private. So because of regulation compliance, yeah. they're now only focusing on institutions. So it didn't really make sense for me to, because most part of my audience, although was, were people who had funds or institutions, they're also retail investors, and if they're being left out, it didn't really make sense for me to create ratings for these projects if they can't invest, because then they'll just get mad at me. And there was, a, I mean, they started a number of the ICO projects also. They wouldn't allow uh, U.S. investors, for example. They yes, would do yeah, technical well. like, limitations so that if you know, they knew your computer or you were sitting in the yeah, U.S., yeah, they wouldn't let you, you know, invest in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that began happening as well. Yeah. And also the, the spreadsheet was crashing because at the peak, it was getting over a million unique visitors each month. Oh, okay. And so you were yeah. testing the limits of what uh, Google Sheets could do. Because yeah, <laughs> we also had other like external plugins in there that couldn't handle the demand of people pulling up the sheet at the same time. Oh, okay. So, Did you ever get a call from Google saying, "Hey, we appreciate uh, Google, you stress no. testing"? Like sometimes people <laughs> would just kind of get like a like a broken error when they would pull up the sheet, and they would have to wait for like an hour. So that's when I knew I had to pivot and find something else, right? So for the last year and a half, I've been trying to figure out how to build something that scales. Yeah. And now we're shifting from focusing purely on ICOs to now creating ratings for tokens currently trading as well. Oh, so becoming okay. kind of like a Morningstar or Moody for cryptos. I see. And I see. now we're using machine learning and getting a lot more data points. And we think it's something that can really scale because Everybody can participate if something's trading on an exchange. Yeah. Right. So, because ICOs have kind of um, petered out and aren't really in, in favor anymore, right? And we feel like doing ratings on all tokens and taking in. Right now, we have over 74 different data points we're looking at for each cryptocurrency, mm. from both the fundamentals to the technical analysis to code reviews and software development. We've hired developers from Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, blockchain. 
uh, PhDs in machine learning, uh, fundamental analysts, all of them working together to create data points on each cryptocurrency and then backtesting it and seeing what works historically. Oh, I see. Right? So we're taking all of that and we're building an online investment advisor for crypto. And the idea is to, for it to, to help investors with short-term trading and also asset selection and portfolio management. Are you mainly targeting retail individual investors then? Uh, initially, we'll, we'll target, we'll, we'll, initially we'll launch with retail investors, okay. but we do plan to cater to institutions as well, whether it's with the research that we have or even doing white label robo-advisor for crypto where our technology basically runs their fund. Oh, okay. Right, okay. so that's something we're also exploring. I mean, because this kind of ties into some services that I've used in the past where, you know, sometimes retail investors, or a lot of times retail investors will use them, but they're almost more tailored towards um, institutions, you know, like hedge funds, yeah. you know, seriously professional, you know, trading environments. And so it seems like you could create, you know, kind of like a two-tier two-tier system where yes, yeah. Yeah, you have like the you know, retail level but then the higher cost you know, institutional investors get yeah. you know, different level of information and insights. Yeah, so okay. initially we began with the retail because it was just the lower hanging fruit uh, but we are planning to work towards that. Like I just passed my series 65 exam last week. And Congratulations. The, the, thank you. <laughs> so that, now like, I can officially apply to the SEC to become an investment advisor and also make Tokenmetrics a registered investment advisor. A, uh, basically a robo-advisor for crypto right? and we think that can really help us scale and expand towards catering to institutions and the plan is hopefully in one or two years to be a custodial meaning people can have the portfolio on tokenmetrics and we take care of everything sure right? we handle all the trading portfolio management active portfolio management right because you can't really be an active trader because nobody has time for that. Most people in crypto, right? right? They have full-time jobs, other businesses they're running, family life. Because in a crypto bear market, it makes more sense to actively trade than to just hold. Because it makes no sense to hold Bitcoin from 20,000 all the way down to 3,000, right? <laughs> the ideal strategy is to get out of Bitcoin around 18, 19, 20,000, buy back in around three, four, five thousand, right? right? But to do that, you have to be very actively involved. Yeah. So we're trying to automate that with our software and, and machine learning. Okay. Wow, you give me a whole bunch to uh, ask questions about here. So um, let me just touch on the uh, IBM portion and being mm -hmm. a sales engineer because yes. it's so funny that I was also a sales engineer. Oh wow. And I worked <laughs> at level three communications for 10 years, uh -huh. you know, working in telecom. Yeah. So it's like um, guys like Alex Mashinsky. Um, so he's, know, you know, so. the inventor of VoIP and everything like that. It's so crazy that I also worked in networks, you know, the bottom three layers of the OSI model, mm -hmm. the network, uh, link layer, and then the uh, IP layer, yeah. uh, network layer. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I always, uh, I always uh, warm up when I hear about guys like, you know, Alex Mashinsky and you, like, coming into the space from the, from like the tech side, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, because. It seems like there's many more people who come from like telecom and even technology who seem to be not not so interested in this world of Bitcoin and blockchains and crypto and tokens. Like, mm -hmm. why do you think that is? Uh, I mean, it's, it's still nascent. It's still growing. It's still early days. Right? Yeah, it's still very early because yeah. I joined the space thinking I was late. Yeah. But now when I meet somebody else, I tell them they're early. All right. 
because the space is, is, is so huge, it's global. From traveling the world, I've seen the space is global. It's a very big market, but it's still growing and up and coming. Right. And there's still some growing pains, especially when it comes to infrastructure, regulation, compliance. So that may give some people reservations to kind of going all in into blockchain and crypto. Right, right. So, um, so I have to pinch myself a lot and remind myself that it is still early days because um, having experienced that boom and bust cycle of the 2017 and everything, um, you know, I go through the whole like fear of missing out, uh, FOMO as it's yeah. known. Uh, go, go through the fear of missing out, emotional cycles, but then, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that we basically traded into the bottoms of like all these tokens out that are out there. I mean, do you think that, how long do you think and what do you think uh, like is the forecast for, you know, all these tokens that are basically just completely, you know, become devastated. Worthless. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's, that's the one way of saying it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so I just came back from Ethereum DevCon in Osaka, Japan a few weeks ago. Okay. And sentiment over there was people are still building the space. Developers, people are building. Investors um, are still on the sidelines, uh, especially token investors. I mean, the only investments right now are happening are, some, are a few equity investments in infrastructure of, of the space. But in terms of tokens, almost every investor I speak with is bearish on tokens. Okay. Short term, at least. Yeah. Long term, this is hard to predict, but yeah, I mean, long term, I'm still optimistic and bullish on crypto, blockchain, and the space. But I feel like right now, almost almost everybody is on the sidelines or in Bitcoin. Right, right. And anything to do with a the token, they don't want to see because they're jaded. They've lost so much money. Yeah, yeah. I feel so, bad for the folks who have uh, held on to all the tokens. You know, through all the down cycle. You know, it's like uh, what's that? Uh, emotions like hope and greed yeah. determine more of the trading pattern than anything else. Uh, trading and investment pattern. Um, what about this whole world of security tokens? Um, so, to the folks listening, you know, security tokens are uh, said to be the, I guess, next big great wave of tokens, where they're basically like stocks, except they're purely based in like a blockchain-based token world. Uh, what what is your view on how security tokens um, will evolve? I'm very optimistic and bullish on security tokens. Okay. I think here in the U.S. is the only way forward because just based on what the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, has said about cryptocurrencies and, and, and most tokens or ICOs, it views almost all of them as securities. Yeah. So I think what Blockstack has done, Blockstack and Props Project, has has been very innovative because. Blockstack was the first SEC qualified um, security token, uh, and now they're trading on Binance. So I think cause the main issue with security tokens has been liquidity, not being able to buy and sell it on an exchange. Mm. So the, it's, it's been illiquid in the past. Right. So what Blockstack has done has paved a path forward for other products to now model and, and follow. So I think they're definitely paving the way, and I think. I'm bullish on it, but I think it's still far out, maybe yeah. a couple years or more. So the question, one of the questions that was posed to uh, Pomp, Anthony Pompiano, he was on stage yesterday here at the Litecoin Summit, um, you know, someone asked like, hey, so what's it going to take for mainstream adoption, a mainstream adoption? And his answer was just like super quick, it was just like time. 
I need time. Uh, yeah. you know, it's like, it's like you know, if the number of people who knew about crypto in 2016 was like a thousand, and then the next year it jumped to five thousand, and then the next year after that it jumps to maybe fifty thousand. Um, you know, it, it just takes time, takes time. for you know no, a billion or more people. Um, to, to know about it. And we got stuff like Libra happening with Facebook and everything that's making people more aware of what's going yeah, on. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna take a lot of time. So I have to ask your opinion, and uh, for full disclosure, um, I am in T0. So T0, uh -huh. the, um, the, no, the, uh, the, the actual security token. The security token. Yeah, yeah, so I, I went into that, and then, you know, it was the whole, like, one-year lock and everything. But now it's trading over on, only on T0, basically. Yeah. Um, do you know about that project, and do you have thoughts about what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, looked, I looked into it, and I, d I didn't personally invest because they're raising way too much money at the time for me. I felt the valuation was very high. Um, they've been having some issues with the CEO of Overstock, I think Patrick Byron. Yeah, so he was a, he went into like the executive chairman position for a while, and then uh, there's some stories about a Russian spy or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that he dating, was dating. <laughs> and then he just completely exited from everything that was going on. Yeah, yeah. so I feel like initially, most of the industry had high hopes on them really bearing the flag for the security token right. movement. Yeah, they're but like the canary in the coal mine, maybe yeah. maybe with another couple of other canaries, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they haven't really lived up to their vision, I think. So I'm not sure if they're going to be the ones to continue forward. Sure, that, yeah. Right? I think it may end up being Coinbase or Binance, because I know they're also working on eventually having security token. Oh, trading right. on their platforms. Right, right. So I think that may, might be a better prospect. Sure, sure. Um, can we go back to like the uh, poster boy uh, comment of ICOs yeah. and stuff? I mean, so how do, how do you feel about how that has all now evolved and, and where you sit now? I mean, do people still like come after you or do they like, you know, recognize I mean, you and all that? Yeah, I mean, here at the conference, people recognize me uh -huh. still. Uh -huh. Right, uh, online people are a lot, a lot meaner than in person. <laughs> the trolls. Yeah, the, the trolls, because <laughs> online people are anonymous. Yeah. That in person, I never hear anything bad. Oh, okay, right? okay. Because I mean, in real life, people are, are nice. <laughs> right. Uh, but online, anybody can say anything. Right. Kind of keyboard warriors, you know, hiding behind yeah. a keyboard. But I mean, overall, what what I would say I've learned, uh, I mean, just kind of being less out there in the public eye, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm still out here, obviously, at public events, per se, but in a bear market, I mean, I think it's, it's better to build, right? Because in, in a bull market, the content just kind of came easy because there was lots of, lots of interest. But just kind of having empathy with people who yeah. have been jaded, who have been scammed, lost money, right? Uh, whether from my picks or other picks or just even Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. Just kind of having empathy and not trying to really keep on evangelizing crypto so emphatically yeah. when people have lost mortgages. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So. I was just in Twitter yesterday, and apparently, I think it was Justin Wu's um, tweet that went out. But I think we were on like the two-year anniversary yesterday of the whole like BitConnect uh -huh. disaster, and so um, when I hear that. 
hey, 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 thing. I'm just like, oh God. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, I feel like it's great, like, you know, entertainment value, yeah, comedy. but comedy, yeah. But it kind of like at the same time makes me cringe. Yeah. And then, um, you know, it's like it's like a almost like a scarlet letter, you know. Well, it is a scarlet letter on the yeah. industry. Um, but yeah, you got to remember that yeah, people did lose money and you know it's it's yeah. it's a sensitive situation you know depending yeah. on you know the the piece of people that you're talking to. Also, on being the uh, in the public eye and being a public figure, uh, do you regret having kind of taken those steps to make yourself so like transparent and open and public? Um, I mean, I've thought about it hard, yeah. but I don't think I would have changed because it ended up being learning lessons for me. Right? For example, if I didn't get hacked. Maybe I would have gotten hacked when I had more money, <laughs> oh. right? Because getting hacked made me kind of take security a lot more seriously. Yeah. yeah. And find out weaknesses I had, right? As opposed to five years down the road when I have hopefully tens of millions of dollars, billions of dollars, <laughs> and then getting hacked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're taking a lot more better security measures oh, yeah, for yourself. I definitely had to do that. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean. Uh, so I have to ask, like, you know the whole saying, like, not your keys, not your coins? Yes. Yeah. So was it a situation like that then, where it was like on exchanges or something? Uh, or? No, so so I, st I stored copies of my private keys in, a, in like a, in Evernote. So that kind of ended up being, becoming a meme. Because uh, I was traveling, I was in a country every two, three weeks. And at times I wanted to have quick access. Yeah. Right, without kind of traveling with everything yeah yeah right so yeah they ended up hacking that uh, I thought I had some encryption on it but I didn't have full security on that mm, uh, but I definitely learned my lesson on that uh, so I ended up having hiring a security company firm to help me with my security oh okay and it kind of helps kind of stress test and see weaknesses I had sure so that was definitely very helpful right 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 uh, and then also I mean because in, in 2017 everybody was making money in 2018, some people made money. I mean, I know I made money from still from some from ICOs, sure. but not everybody made money, right? And then in 2019, especially, the market's kind of dried up. Right. So it's also forced me to kind of keep on trying to innovate. That's why we're building token metrics. That's why uh, for the last three or four months, I've been studying to take my Series 65 exam, and I passed that. And I'm working hard towards now applying to the SEC to become an investment advisor. Yeah. Right. So all this wouldn't have happened if I didn't have any setbacks. Right. Mm. I was still on the moon on, on cloud nine. <laughs> I don't think I would have. That would have incentivized me to, to change and try to get better. Yeah. And improve upon that. Just to dive in just a little bit on the whole Evernote thing. I mean, was it basically like an email alias that was like yeah. like used to basically hack into the uh, whole? No. Evernote so. Thing? I mean, I, I think it's kind of hard. Number? Because no, phone numbers right no, so, now are so, like totally easy. So it's kind of hard to speculate, but I think what happened was they hacked my college email address. Oh, okay. Which didn't have 2FA. Okay. And I had my college email as a backup okay. to my Google account. I had 2FA on my Google account, but they did forget password, which went to my college email, which because it was just old software <laughs> that yeah. didn't have anything. Yeah. So I think they used that to get access to my Gmail. Then once they had that, they had access to all kinds of different software services I used, right, and they right. weren't snooping around. Right. They kind of took their time. I think that they hacked me and took a, a, a month or two just kind of during their intel. 
planning oh, out. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Everything about the platforms now is on. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I'm so sorry you went through that. I'm super paranoid when it comes to anything online because I mean I was I was in the information technology business. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm still in it, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just I just like I'm super paranoid. And so uh, I try to take as many precautions as I can. And even doing this podcast with uh, Ari as my co-host, I've tried to become even more security-focused and security-minded, even as we're becoming semi, you know, like public figures, you know, working in this space. But I know how bad it can get. I mean, it, it can just be really, really, really nasty about what happens with personal information and what's out there. And so, uh, you know, it's a really, really expensive le- lesson to learn for you. Yeah, it was but, a very expensive lesson. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, I think it's better I learned it now than when I have more money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so one of the mantras that Ari and I have on this show is that, um, you know, you're, by listening to this podcast, your reactions are totally your responsibility. Like, if you find it fun, great. If you don't find it fun, you know, whatever reaction uh-huh. you have is totally and completely your responsibility. Yeah. And so uh, that's kind of our way of having our own little disclosures, disclaimers, you know, toward people. But seeing how you're reacting over a major loss like that, it seems like you're doing okay because you've chosen your reaction, yeah. which is to learn from it and move on. I mean, because that's the only way, right? Because <laughs> I know, because I got hacked actually on, on a live stream. I was doing a live stream with my audience. Oh, and I, it happened live. Holy right? cow! So, that's kind of big. Having that, one of the lowest moments of my life happened as for public consumption. I definitely has kind of been a learning lesson. Yeah. But just by my nature, I've always been almost like a, a almost a stoic, right? Sure. Um, because, I mean, although it was upsetting, the way I viewed it was. Trying to stay angry wouldn't get the money back. Exactly. Right? And I knew that if I stayed angry and kind of got into depression, that's what they wanted me to do, the hackers. Those bad guys that took the money, right? They wanted me to kind of, they wanted to kill my spirit. Yeah. Right? So I couldn't really let them kill my spirit. I mean, sure, they may have the money, but the way I viewed it was, this was a skill I had learned. Right? And I knew I could do this again. Right? Because it wasn't, by luck, per se, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that kind of gave me confidence and and persevering. Sure, yeah, yeah. So like, uh, so now that we're you know near the end of 2019 here, people have been calling for you know this uh, legendary altcoin season to come mm-hmm. back. <laughs> what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> uh, not in the short term, in my opinion. I mean, if it happens, great. I mean, uh, in the last week or so, I know the with China making blockchain and crypto. One of uh, the higher pri- um, objectives, I've seen. Like, we've seen lots of Chinese altcoins kind of have green days. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure how long lived that's going to be, right. but if that's the case, I mean anything can happen, right? It's crypto. Right? Crypto can be going down for a while, then out of nowhere, it has news like China news that breaks out and yeah. changes the whole market overnight. Yeah. So it's definitely very hard to predict. So I'm not really going to be in the prediction business, <laughs> but I mean. Outside of the China news, uh, altcoins, I don't think it's going to be alt season per se. Right, right, right. Well, maybe, so I'm I guess thinking maybe more towards Bitcoin halving. Like oh, okay. Maybe prior to that, I mean, that could be priced in, but I think 
towards the end of the year. I feel like maybe if we get some positive news with Facebook Libra. Yeah, yeah. Right, right now they've kind of been getting dragged through the mud in, in Congress and by regulators in multiple jurisdictions. Yeah. So if something positive happens with that, or maybe with Telegram Ton as well, mm. that plus the China, China news, maybe that, that could be the catalyst to start alt season. But I think alt season is going to have to change because investors now are wiser. They're wiser and they have experience. Yeah, yeah. And they're jaded. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, something would definitely have to change to bring in new money. Uh, so I, I don't like, like, Ari and I don't actually talk a lot about uh, price action. Like, we do actually quote uh, the price of Bitcoin every show, uh -huh. and we do some conversions and to figure out how many Satoshis you get for one US dollar. Um, but uh, do you think that just by looking at a chart simply and seeing the price action on Bitcoin, do you think that we're still in a bull market or bear market or flat market for Bitcoin? Um, Bitcoin is going sideways right now. Okay, right? so you're calling sideways. Okay. Yeah, because huh. Bitcoin is still above the 200-day moving average. Right, right, right. right. So yeah, that, that's a very big technical yeah, indicator big that people watch. I would say we're in a healthy pullback. Okay. Almost. If it drops below the moving average, then I think we're definitely worried you know I haven't really found many uh, many uh, reliable places where you can find really hard data uh, sound hard data mm -hmm. and it's funny because like bitcoins you know the hardest soundest money that mankind has ever known yeah. but I can't find sound hard data on that kind of stuff on Bitcoin. that I, I don't really look for it anyway because mm -hmm. I don't trade uh, but you know well, that's something we're working on with tokenometrics okay all right, right cool we'll have troves and troves of data yeah. performance metrics on, on pretty much every single cryptocurrency and we're, we're hoping it's really going to usher in a more data-driven approach to investing and trading right 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 oh that's outstanding diary of a made man uh -huh. is that your twitter handle yeah that's my, that's my twitter handle my oh okay youtube yeah so that, that was my my handle this kind of came from me keeping a diary okay a vlog that's literally like spelled out exactly like the sound yeah diary of a made man uh, not diary like the milk. Diary like, like a journal. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> oh, did I write dairy there? Yeah. Oh, think, yeah. how do you spell diary? Oh, diary. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm a man. Oh, that's funny, dude. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> I mean, it just kind of comes from being an entrepreneur and kind of trying to become a made man. and. Yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. yeah. Totally, totally. No, I totally hear what you mean. So, I mean, uh, you're, you're, I mean, you were in corporate America for how long? I would say five years or so. Five years or so? Yeah. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> five years is enough to like yeah. kind of be aware enough and decide you want to do something else. So, you're basically setting out, well, you've been set out on the whole entrepreneurial journey now ever since September of 2017. I mean, even prior to that, I've you been probably, an entrepreneur uh, since college. Oh, okay, all right. So, all right. I've had different businesses from a freelancing uh, iOS app for freelancers to a dictionary, a multilingual social dictionary, to a video production company, to doing Amazon FBA e-commerce, oh, to wow. doing Airbnb short-term rentals. Oh. I've kind of dabbled in almost everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before crypto. <laughs> oh, okay. So from this on, out, this point on out, you're definitely all in crypto. Yeah. 
digital assets, blockchains, whatever the word is going to be for the long run. I mean, you're in it to win it, basically. Yeah. Yeah, that's the plan. That's the yeah. game plan. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome, man. All right, Thank so you. if uh, folks want to find you, I mean, what's the best place to uh, reach out to you then? Uh, best place is to go to our Telegram group. Uh, just go on Telegram. We have a public group called Tokometrics. Okay. Just search for that. I'll just search for Tokometrics on Twitter, on YouTube. Okay. They can contact us. Uh, just, or just go to Tokometrics.com. Okay. Awesome. You were able to get Tokometrics.com? Yeah. We actually own the oh, trademark. Man. And copyright to it. Oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> I get so irritated with digital real estate, you know, uh -huh. especially the dot coms. The digital real estate is just, just so crazy hard to find. Yeah. And so, uh, congratulations on, you know, being yeah. able to land all Thank those you. handles and uh, URLs. Yeah. That's we had to buy it. It's a big but, deal. Uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't well, still, cheap. Yeah. Well, still, you got it. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's awesome. Well, hey, Ian, um, really appreciate you sitting down and, and talking to me. And uh, yeah, hopefully I'll keep in touch and uh, you know become a customer of yours. You know, so. sounds good. We'll definitely yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, it was yeah. a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for the time. Thank you. Yeah. This is Dora from Detroit. None of the statements or opinions expressed in this podcast by the guest or its host is to be taken as financial or legal or psychological or dietary advice or a solicitation of any kind to participate in a conservative or risky or speculative financial instrument that may or may not require accredited investor status as defined by either the Securities and Exchange Commission or the Commodity Futures Trading Commission or any other regulatory agency of the United States of America or any other sovereign national regulatory agency or independent thought and rational thinking from the laws of humanity. By listening, you acknowledge that the hosts, Ari and Day, and their guests are not financial advisors or legal scholars or psychologists or dietitians of any kind, but only humans and not sentient intergalactic alien life forms. There shall be no reliance by the listeners to the representations made in this podcast as being factual, fiduciary, or any other big vocabulary word you can think of. All statements made in this podcast by any living or dead or unborn or zombie or robotic entity in the past, present, or future of the space-time continuum of the known universe are purely ironic or coincidental thoughts and opinions. Moments or observations of sarcasm, sadness, glee, education, entertainment, enlightenment, or any other enumerated emotion and or reaction experienced from this podcast are fully your responsibility and reaction that may or may not be intended for the listener in any way, shape, or form. This podcast contains adult information. Discretion is strongly advised. Thank you for listening. Have you seen the Defiant ones by chance? The HBO series about uh, Jimmy Iovini and Dr. Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre. No, I've got that on my queue. I got to. I got to see. I, I hear it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Mike said it was yeah. really good. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. You get the first one for free. The first episode. Uh, but I'm on HBO. You're not, oh, you're on. Okay. We perfect. have HBO for free. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Can come over to our house and watch. <laughs> it. That's a great reason to come over. Yeah. Let's do that. You should. <laughs> All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, because what part of money of your life? Because what part of money does your life not touch? I said it backwards, but y'all know what I mean. All right, I'm Matthew McConaughey, and I'm in Texas, and I'm getting hammered drunk on Tito's. All right, all right.